30 years ago when I was training as a cook said you would be married to a garlic farmer living in the north of Scotland. I said, don't be stupid. Welcome to my podcast, Spirit and Spice. I'm Gilly Bashan, a writer and broadcaster with a passion for food. Not just the food on my plate, but the people and the stories behind it. When you think of farming in the Scottish Highlands, garlic is not really the first thing to spring to mind. But here I am with you, Gilly Allingham. You have this amazing company called The Really Garlicky Company. Why on earth did you start with garlic? You may well ask. It's not an obvious crop to be growing in the north of Scotland. Um, About 20 years ago, Glenn was um, at a meeting of Scottish farmers at the Scottish Agricultural College. They were looking for farmers to take part in some crop diversification trials. They were looking for different things for pe- that you could possibly grow in the north of Scotland. Um, amongst um, ideas for growing borage and daffodil bulbs and garlic was one of them. Anyway, when they said garlic, Glenn put his hand up and said, okay, well, maybe have a go at that. And he came home from this meeting that evening and said, well, we're growing potatoes, but we're now going to grow garlic as well. And I thought, wow, that, that would be fun because we I love eating and cooking with garlic. Um, my background is I trained as a, as a cook at Leith's um, School of Food Cookery in London and ended up in Scotland cooking around the north of Scotland in shooting and fishing lodges and met Glenn through, um, I was working for his aunt and uncle. And that's how we met. So, um, so it's a real it's husband been, and wife mm, team. Well, it's always been the family joke that Glenn married below stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so he fell in love with my cooking as well as me. So well, I, you know, I think that that's the way to many a man's many heart. Many a man's heart. But you know, thank goodness Glenn knew the difference between a daffodil bulb and, and a garlic, garlic bulb. bulb because absolutely. my father was once so ill because my mother left him for a few days and had dishes kind of prepared for him, but you know, said there's onions there, there's garlic there, chop it up and pop it in, and he did. And he was thoroughly, he went into the packet yes, of daffodil bulbs. Um, he was thoroughly ill. Well, so they would be poisonous. I they no, are, yes, no, no. Well, I think they are. I mean, yeah. I don't think even well, mice eat them when they're stored. <laughs> well, I must oh, say his dear. taste buds are always a bit dubious. Well, yeah. but, uh, but anyway, at least Glenn knew the difference. Well, he knew the difference, but we didn't know how to grow it. I mean, this was a completely new, total new animal for us. Um, so we've grown potatoes um, as the main part of the business for the last 40 years. His father started off growing seed potatoes. And we, once we did a bit of sort of research, we thought well, this might fit in quite well with our farming calendar in that we plant the tatties in March and we harvest in September. So we've got this sort of gap between, well, October is when we plant the garlic. So when we've finished harvesting the tatties, we're then on to planting the garlic. And then through the winter, when we're grading the potatoes, the garlic's growing. And then we harvest the garlic um, in in July, so before we've harvested the tatties. So it sort of means that we're busy all year round. You're there's no there's, no there's no gap at all in the farming calendar. The the also well you say about rotating. We rotate the crops anyway. The potatoes are on a five year rotation. The garlic is 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 similar as well. So we're not going to grow um, the garlic in the same field. Um, again for another five years so we can follow either with potatoes or wheat or barley 
with the other with the other crops that we grow as well. So it sort of worked in. We thought, well, this you know this could actually fit in quite well as a as another uh, another crop. Um, we did lots of research um, on on the internet. I mean, this was now twenty years ago, so there was actually quite limited information um, back then. Glenn found a farmer in Canada, in Ontario, that grew garlic and we thought well Canada you know it's maybe similar climate to to Scotland because obviously the garlic we were going to grow couldn't be the same as in the south of France or Spain because our climate is so totally different so once we realized that there are hundreds of different varieties of, of garlic we ended up growing what's known as a hardneck porcelain garlic so the hardneck and you can see from the bulb that you've got here has got a hard stem in the center um, and one ring of cloves around that central stem soft neck garlic which is more commonly grown in spain and france has got two or three concentric circles of cloves without that central stem and so in the middle you end up with the tiny little cloves i don't know if you've had a bulb where you've got these tiny yeah, tiny bulb yeah. cloves in the middle and you almost have to put them in holes well, into just, stock or yes, something don't I mean, you you know that there's such a fiddle to even bother peeling that you're either just and those cloves look fat and juicy, mm -hmm. plump, yeah. and so is hard neck always hard like that? Hard neck has always got the big cloves. So this bulb here is one, two, three, four, five. It's only got six cloves, but they're big cloves. So it makes it fantastic for roast. If you're doing a roasted, roasted vegetables, put in the whole cloves. And they will actually keep, because they're so plump, they'll keep their structure. They're not going to just shrivel up into little raisins. Make so, lovely roast garlic oh, pastes gosh, and things. Oh, that's gorgeous. The best thing is, is roasting a whole bulb and then squishing mm. it out with your fingers. You have the quote, it's chic, chic to, to reek. reek. <laughs> do you do you actually reek then with this quite well, amount of garlic? <laughs> we eat a lot of garlic and we do find people still talk to us that they're I'm not walking down like there in High Street and people are sort of Although, when I was in the post office earlier on, I had boxes of garlic I'm sending to people that have ordered off the website. And there's one lady in the post office that really doesn't like garlic at all. And she'll take my boxes and literally put them to the back of the office, ready for the postie to come and pick up. The other lady says, oh, I feel so hungry. Every time you deliver your boxes, it makes me feel like I want to go and make spaghetti bolognese when I get home tonight. So, yeah, there are some people that love it and some that hate it. I personally don't worry about what whether I'm oozing, reeking, or, reeking not. or not. Yeah, but I think I think it's that thing where if everybody eats garlic, you don't notice it on each other anyway. Exactly. So in your family, you probably all think, think you smell should. delicious. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Going back to the potatoes, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I was at your farm mm -hmm. earlier and you have just crates and crates and crates yes. ready for your potato harvest. There's like a wall of boxes so there how many tons of the... potatoes are you producing oh so we grow 200 about 200 acres of potatoes um and between about 50 different varieties so each of the sheds would have about 500 tons of tatties in them and we've got three sheds so oh, there's it's a lot of potatoes we won't know until we start harvest in a in a few weeks time so that's just your what primary crop like. though. absolutely yes yeah. that's the sort of the mainstay of the the farming business and and has been for the last 40 years the garlic complements it the garlicky company as a standalone business wouldn't work without the potatoes as well so you and don't just, think you could make enough money just growing no, garlic you no, know if i was to no. start up a business tomorrow growing garlic 
I would have to be thinking of think doing something either. else as you'd well. You'd have to do something else or do it really large scale mm. or yeah, or add in other, other crops with it. Well, and I think that's probably why we are still the only garlic farmers in Scotland because people often ask why why aren't there loads of people growing garlic? But it's not a natural thing to think of growing in our climate, no. I think, as well, yeah, isn't it? You know, we do true. have a kind of wet climate, we, even though where well, you live yes. it's quite a, a mild climate compared to some parts of yes. Scotland. Yes, because we're, we're sort of sheltered by the, the Corder Hills behind us, so that protects us from the worst of the weather coming. Um, and obviously we don't have anything like the rainfall that they would have on the west coast. Um, in fact, when so the, the Canadian people that we emailed when we first were looking for, for garlic to, to try, because we'd had through the college, so this trial that we did initially, they supplied us with some seed um, that they had sourced from, um, they got some from, um, from the Isle of Wight who grow a lot of garlic down there. There was a Russian red and um, a couple of soft neck varieties and I, I don't know where they got those from and one hard neck garlic. So we grew, I think there was only about a quarter of an acre, it was all planted by hand, we weeded it by hand and we harvested it by hand. And then we did a sort of taste trial at the end to see which one we liked out of the, the garlic varieties. And the hardneck, I preferred the flavour, um, I felt it had a much smoother, it's got a much sweeter flavour doesn't have the bitterness that softneck garlic can be quite hot sometimes you know when you when you if you would eat it raw it would like be really nippy. quite quite nippy mm -hmm. yeah and the and the hardneck garlic doesn't have any of that sort of acrid um, bitter aftertaste so although yes we say it's chic to reek you're reeking of quite a nice garlic rather than that you're, you're yeah, reeking of sweet, sweet garlic. garlic. Yes, no, <laughs> so it's a sweet reek. Yes, so we, so we were looking for varieties. And at that point, the, um, the college then, the trial had finished and they let us go alone. Um, but um, I think they could see it wasn't going to be commercially viable to do on a big scale because it was very labour intensive. So, so for the purposes of the trial, it, it showed them that yes, it will grow in Scotland, but it's not easy to do. Um, and I don't know, in our wisdom, we thought, well, let's just keep trying. We'll see if we can try and make it easier. And it certainly hasn't been easy, but we've carried on and we're still growing it nearly 20 years well, later. You're still the only still, grower still of garlic in, 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 in the whole of yes, Scotland yes. and you're in the Highlands. So mm -hmm. it's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. But the season, as you've explained, you know, you, you were fitting this in around your potatoes. But when it comes to your garlic harvest, your season is quite short. Yes. So what do yeah. you do to supply the garlic market? All, all year round. All year round. So end of July, we're hand pulling the first um, garlic. So the green garlic that you had the other week was just lifted by hand and we'll just peel it just to clean them up. And they look beautiful when they're, when they're that fresh and they are still very soft, the skins, it makes them very, very easy to peel. The rest of the crop in order for it to store, because otherwise it would go mouldy, we dry it so we've taken it all back to the farm and we put it into those big ton boxes and stack them up and we blast it with hot air so we've got these gas burners and fans that will keep the air circulating around because the boxes are full um, to the top mud and everything and we'll do that for a couple of weeks until the skins are quite nice and crispy and and dry and the stem in the center is also dry otherwise if you haven't got it dried properly it will go mouldy and it won't store but the season even though we've dried it will only be about six months we'll only sell it up till december um, because it will start to grow 
and the flavour profile will change and we only want to sell it when it's at its best. This is the thing with the hard neck garlic, although it, personally I feel the flavour is best, it disadvantages that it doesn't have such a long storage period. Soft neck garlic does store for longer. But so we've sort of weighed that up that we've we've found, I feel that it's it's um it's worth having a shorter season of the Scottish garlic and then we have our well then we have our Patagonian purple. Yeah, so your your yeah. your own homegrown garlic mm-hmm. is a short season yeah. and that is your hard neck porcelain. Yeah. You then substitute the sort of so quietest months yeah. with Patagonian purple. Yes, yeah, so it's the same very, very similar variety to our own, um, grown for us in Argentina. So they, being obviously the southern hemisphere, a complete opposite farming calendar. So they're harvesting in December. So just when our season is finished, they're starting. So it fills the gap, um, and we sell that through from December until July. So you import their harvest, but sell it under the banner, the really garlicky company. company. But Mm -hmm. it does look very similar, Mm -hmm. because this porcelain hardneck garlic is actually kind of purpley as well. So that's when we were looking for another garlic... I wanted it, it had to be as close to ours because we wanted to be able to offer our customers that are used to this garlic something that you know that they're they're used to and um, and we do obviously say on the label that it is grown in Argentina Mm -hmm. Um, it's been really garlicky approved so it's got our sort of seal of approval and it's in your little really garlicky bags yes all in purple (laughs) as everything as you can see everything is purple which is my favorite color um and it just happens to complement the garlic it does it's quite handy it's quite a useful (laughs) a useful design touch the garlic bulbs are in waitrose nationwide so they've got i don't know 150 plus stores all around the country the products that I make here in Nairn are some of them are in Waitrose, but only in their Scottish stores. They don't like to keep that just as a regional product. So the Ioli um, and um, the Easy Garlic, which is the frozen garlic puree, are in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Helensburgh, and Stirling. So just in the Scottish stores. Um, but the way we got into Waitrose, which was always because I think they're a, you know they're a great supermarket to to actually to deal with as as um, as supermarkets go, the um, the buyer um, had read an article that I'd won a competition, Country Living Rural. In fact, the, the, po- the poster up there is the pictures from the magazine. So that was in 2003. That's a young Jilly That's in the picture. Very, <laughs> goodness, that looks like, it's almost looks like a 1950s poster, it doesn't does. it? There's well, a real so feel you about see, it. You see the, the mixer in that photo is still the same one as we're using downstairs. But the reason why that room is bright pink is because that was the girls' playroom. So my daughters were turfed out of the playroom. So this is back at the farmhouse where we've just come from. And I started off just in the kitchen, but then as you get bigger, you've got sort of... Um, um, sort of standards you've got to meet to the environmental health people came so we you know it's it's a lovely image to be this farmhouse business but actually that can't happen so so we moved from the pink playroom <laughs> quite a throwback isn't it yeah so ent- enterprising rural oh, women yeah. award i mean even yes. that sounds kind of almost 1950s as well you're a rural woman pinny <laughs> <laughs> Well, the buyer from Waitrose read that while she was sitting in her hairdressers waiting for her appointment, and um, we got an email saying um, we would like to have a look at your garlic. So that's how 
that came about and that's how we we got into waitrose and so that's ever ever since then but they they like to have things that are are different and obviously we're you know it's 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 unique Um, yeah it certainly is unique and you mentioned there some of the products that you make Mm. now i mean you you said earlier that you actually did a cookery course and that's in your background Mm -hmm. was leith school of cookery um so that must have played a bit of a part in feeling confident about preparing products that you could then yes. put out on the market yes. with your garlic? Well, we started um, going to the farmer's market in Inverness. It was actually at the time when the farmer's market started and they were really quite popular at that time and, and, and growing every month. And so we went along with the garlic. Well, we started going with the potatoes, actually, the first the first few months. And it was actually soul-destroying when you'd have people coming along saying, oh, I don't know, can I carry four baking potatoes no I think it's just a bit too heavy I'll, I'll just take two and we'd some weeks we'd bring back almost as many tatties as we'd taken oh. and we so I thought well we've got to actually take something that's lighter that you can fit in your pocket and obviously garlic you could fit it in your pocket you probably wouldn't want to walk around all day with a bulb of garlic in your pocket but so it grew from there that you can't just go with one product you've got to really have other things to offer and make the table look pretty with baskets of of, of product produce um, and I thought well how do I get people to taste this garlic because I knew that there was something special about it because it does taste quite different I thought well let's make garlic bread everybody loves garlic bread um, so I got bread from our local bakery from Asher's Bakery here just along the road here and sliced it and mixed up garlic butter and squished it in, wrapped it in foil as you would make it at home and took it along and sold I think probably 20 loaves in that first week. Took a little oven, I had a, oh, a, so a little had aroma. Oh, yes, perfect. I think, this, I think this is probably my best marketing tool along with the purple, mm-hmm. definitely the smell is what brings people to to our stand wherever we're selling you it. You just need to sell the t-shirt, Chic to Reek. yes. And then yes, you're done. Exactly. <laughs> well, I always wanted to get Peter Kay, who loves, when he talks about garlic bread and he talks about it's the future, I always wanted to get Peter Kay to do an advert to say, garlic bread, it's taste sensation, and then <laughs> it's the future, on the back of my t-shirt or something like that. But maybe Imagine how can. many maybe millions after this podcast was, yeah. you'll get him. We'll share it with him. <laughs> we'll share it, yes, exactly. <laughs> So, um, so we first of all went with went with the garlic bread, and then um, the range really evolved from there. So little pots of garlic butter was the, was the next thing, and then really I've anything that I can put garlic into that is easy for either for me to make here on my own at the unit um, that we're that we're at. So the aioli, which is a lovely garlic may- mayonnaise. Yes, I've had that. It is delicious. So that's yeah. made with extra virgin olive oil and British free range eggs, and so it's got all the the best ingredients, and it's and it is delicious. So I can't survive a day without that. <laughs> and you're a one woman band when you're making um, all these products. Yes. And are you uh, in in your little kitchen setup? Do you actually have to be there hands on, or do you have a little conveyor belt system? Or? We are very much. It's very much hands on. Um, there's we're semi or not really automated i've got a machine that will squish out a measured amount of aioli into the pot i say measured amount i still weigh every pot to make sure that it's got the, the right amount in it um but the lids are put on by hand i stick the labels on by hand everything's so how many pots of aioli could you make in a day um so most wednesdays i'll make between 200 and 250 pots of 
aioli depending on on the orders i make it fresh to order so my orders come in on a wednesday morning and then i'll get to and work. that's orders still coming in from waitrose and waitrose a few other and outlets wholesalers and then we supply um shops locally so there's a few farm shops there's a lovely pick your own along the road west of Harvmere, who sell all our products um, all year round you know again keep it quite quite local um for my local for my own deliveries and then the wholesaler that we supply distributes it throughout the rest of the, the country so on a wednesday you're making perhaps mm-hmm. two 200 250 pots of ioli but when are you making the other products so you have so, caramelized yes. onion and these garlicky mini oat cakes oh. so this is where i then have partnered up with other people who most of them have actually started off as customers so um, McLean's Bakery in Forest make the little garlicky oat cakes for me so I started off supplying them with garlic for putting into things that they were making and um, just had a conversation with Lewis McLean one day and said could you maybe make some oat cakes for me and he said yeah so I just deliver the garlic puree through to Forest and they will come back packaged and labelled and ready for me to sell um, and the same with the caramelised onions. It's um, like a like an onion marmalade, but with lots of garlic. And that's made by Mackay's in Arbroath, who are um, better known for making lovely marmalade. But they have a whole range of um, of products under Mrs Bridges brand, and they have their own brands. But again, they were using our garlic in their products, and so I've sort of flipped it around and asked, could they make something for me? So they make that. So um, all these yeah. products actually have the really garlic company it's labels on all, them. They've though. got the garlicky company labels, but m- most importantly, they contain the Scottish garlic as well. Right. So we don't use the Patagonian purple in any of the products. Everything has Scottish mm-hmm. garlic. And the way I can do that all year round is, um, so you saw the garlic dried at the farm and some were beautiful looking bulbs and then there were some that really weren't quite so beautiful looking bulbs and smaller those we send away to a company down in Wales there's nobody in Scotland that can do this process but they will peel it and then crush it and pack it into 10 kilo buckets and freeze it don't add anything to it so there's no additives or preservatives create the puree and they create the puree so the puree comes back I'll get a a couple of tons of garlic puree frozen which I can then use to make the products all year round. And if we puree it as soon after harvest as possible, you're, you're locking in the, the fresh flavour, so the products will taste as good as if we were using these fresh bulbs now. Now, why can only a company in Wales do the peeling? Are they doing it by hand? No, it's an air peeler. So you imagine how pressurised the air, to, you feel how firm that is. I can't imagine how so there's ferocious this blast. this blast of air to actually air peel the, wow. the cloves um, and, and then crush them. So it's very specialised pieces of equipment that, that do it. Um, and there are only three or four companies in the whole of the UK that have, that have the specialist equipment for, for garlic. So, um, so yeah, so they're, they're, they're really lovely people that we've known again for, for years and years and we'll send the garlic down to them. It's extraordinary to think of all these things that go into the products and just this, this, this one little clove of garlic and the journey it goes on. I mean, you know, your Patagonian one is coming all the way over here, mm-hmm. but being sold as a whole bushel of garlic. Mm-hmm. And then you have your own hard neck porcelain. It's going through all sorts of processes, but has to be minced into puree yes. down in Wales yes, before it goes into the products that you then produce But it means here. that there's absolutely no wastage. 
so every bulb counts so they're either the perfect ones going to the nets that get sold to waitrose we'll grade out some um, various different sizes which we sell to uh, gardeners for growing so we have a lot at the moment I'm having a lot of inquiries from people who want to grow their own garlic either in their allotments or gardens so we will start sending out seed as we call it because it's it's been selected for its size um, in the next few weeks time uh, we'll be sending out garlic for, for planting and then the ones that are not perfectly pretty um, will get sent to be pureed and I can then make it into all these yummy things well I mean it sounds like it's a completely full-time business but at the same time you've got all the other things going on at the farm so (laughs) has this become more of your business even though you are a husband and wife team yes I suppose Glenn grows the garlic and then I do the marketing and the manufacturing and um, but when it comes to the selling we'll do that together at the at the shows we don't do the farmers markets anymore I used to go down to Edinburgh every other weekend and it's just was too difficult to, to juggle everything you have two adult daughters that can do all the music festivals yes, for you as well yeah, so we've just been at Belladrum um, last weekend and they sold I think 3,000 of our slices of garlic ciabatta which they topped with mozzarella and fresh chopped tomatoes and balsamic I'm and, really feeling hungry. and it's, um, it's really popular I'm looking at these old cakes yes, yes well we could open a packet would you like to try some I've got chewing gum in my mouth oh, no. she's so rude and there you are eyeing the oat cakes hoping oh, have a thank you those oat cakes are lovely They're delicious aren't they mm. Mm. So they're not really strongly garlicky. No. The garlic comes through as a secondary flavour so that when you have it with a, a lovely mature cheddar, you're not totally obliterating the flavour of no. the cheese. I'll polish off half a package at lunchtime. Do you? And you mm. So you'll polish off half a package of those dipped in your own aioli. Mm. Well, you're a very good advert for your own company. I'm going to try no, that so too. Mm. You are, so you're not sort of sick of the sight of eating garlic bread. Mm-mm. I mean, mm. We had it last night at dinner. I think I I couldn't make something or sell something that I didn't enjoy eating myself. No, that's very true. Well, I hope that people begin to understand all the effort that's gone in behind the garlic that is sitting in little purple bags in waitress throughout the UK. There's a lot more to those little bushels than meets the eye. So, Gillian, thank you so much for sharing your garlicky story. Um, I'm actually very happy to be maybe wearing a t-shirt saying <laughs> it's chic to read. <laughs> I'm a garlic fan. <laughs> what do you think Katie? Mm. I'm very happy to be reeking on the journey home now. Mm. That, well, that's very nice <laughs> that the journey you've been on mm. is great. If 30 years ago when I was training as a cook I said you would be married to a garlic farmer living in the north of Scotland Stupid. <laughs> no. Pigs, barley, yes, yeah. sheep, maybe cattle, maybe tatties, but yeah, garlic, a garlic farmer's wife, and that's why people who can't remember my name, which happens quite a lot, and I, they just call me Mrs. Garlic. Mum says, right, I'm making the Turkish coffee. I sit here, you sit there. You stop. The world can wait. Just pause. Just enjoy it. Welcome to my podcast, Spirit and Spice. I'm Gilly Bashan, a writer and broadcaster with a passion for food. Not 
just the food on my plate, but the people and the stories behind it. What a feast you have made for us. This is amazing. And you know, isn't it strange after all these years of corresponding, here you are in my barn in the Thank Scottish Highlands. So, hosh geldiniz. Hosh bulduk, dear Gele, honestly. I can't tell you what a special role model you are for me and inspiration. We literally alter your lovely cookery books as we go through and try to translate Turkish cuisine <laughs> into an understandable language. So it is an incredible privilege to be here. Thank you so much for having mm, well. me. <laughs> But we're here to talk about your beautiful book, Thank which you. has been a complete labor of love. I'm still pinching myself. I honestly am. It took 10 years of toying and froing and praying and trying to find ways to make this book happen and finally here we are and we've got my children here and a bunch of friends around the table and it's exactly how it would be it's in really Turkey lovely. and your book is called Özlem's Turkish Table Indeed. but recipes from my homeland mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your homeland uh, well I'm I was born and bred in Turkey I lived there for 30 years It is not only the food, but the hospitality, the generosity. You know, I grew up with grandma who would put extra place on the table in Antakya because someone would always turn up, usually around the mealtime, mm-hmm. unannounced, and they will be warmly welcomed to the table. You yeah, know, it's a lovely idea. You just always got this yeah, spare Yeah, just come on in. Place. And, you know, there's always an abundance of food like we produce back in the kitchen. We say in Turkish, like happiness comes with sharing. And, you know, we think if you have a slice of bread, when it's shared, it tastes much better. So, well, hospitality and sharing are, are just the mm. two things I always associate with Turkey. Mm. But you're actually from the southern part of, part Turkey. of Turkey. You're from Antakya. So tell us a little bit about that and the type mm. of food that comes from that region. Mm. It is a special land, you know, I mean, there are. Um, quite a few nice examples here and it's a cuisine very diverse with many influences but say bulgur is a big part of it like we have this lovely spicy like the the pul biber uh, smoky red pepper flakes the zahtar the blend of zahtar is big flavoring through spices really good olive oil But freshness, I think, is also the key. Yeah. So yeah. while we're eating this kusur, mm. we should be putting it into our lettuce leaf. Yes, please. So okay, grab. I don't normally feed my producer. Mm. There we go. Is that good? Mm. Oh, thank you. This is fresh. It is, yes. And today I'm being kind because it's about hospitality and sharing. Okay, well, I'll, I'll note this down. It's a one time only. It's lovely. Mm. <laughs> and the, the pomegranate seeds, actually, um, is something on the cover of my book, this dish. And pomegranates is, you know, bountifulness and prosperity and bringing good luck. It's a very symbolic mm. fruit. But the uh, one of the main ingredients of the salad is pomegranate molasses, which is made from the boiled down juices of pomegranates. Um, and when it's in season, we also put the seeds into it, but then added on tanginess and freshness. So, yeah, natural condiments like pomegranate molasses, biber salchas, so the pepper paste we use today a lot. Uh, Which is actually a hot pepper paste, it's not not sweet peppers. So the way it works is that, you know, we have this really juicy, spicy peppers, Mm -hmm. um, pointy ones, Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's southern Turkey around the region of Gaziantep and Antakya and Marash. So when they are in abundance, we cook them in a tiny little bit of water uh, until the moisture just evaporates and ladies put all that cooked spicy peppers under the hot Mediterranean sun 
all the leftover moisture disappears and then they would preserve in the jars with a bit of salt and oil and I think it's a fantastic ingredient. I mean, I live on that. I mean, a little bit of it always goes into my sauces and cook, you know. Did, did you grow up um, with your mother or grandmother doing these things when you were younger? I was born in Ankara, but my grandma's home um, was in Antakya and mom and dad were all from Antakya. So every summer we would go. In summer holidays, as you may know, it's about three and a half months of holiday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and my mother was a teacher. So as soon as the school breaks, we would, you know, go to Antakya. And my grandma had this um, 450 year old stone home. Um, a bit of, think of a miniature Topkapu palace where it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a courtyard in the middle and the stone rooms attached to one another. Mm -hmm. And there's the figs tree, there's the mulberry tree, pomegranate tree, young walnut tree, all in the garden, mm. you know. And mm. and there was this lovely little fountain in the middle, <laughs> you know. That I love your <laughs> description in the book of that because, do you know, in this fountain, they would put all the watermelons into the water to chill because obviously you're in a very, very hot part mm. of Turkey. Mm. And Aslam and her... Cousins, cousins would all just jump into the fountain and swim amongst the watermelons oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> to keep cool. That's a very big fountain. Then. <laughs> it's a tiny little one actually. I <laughs> wish I had the photo. I would have put in the book if I found the photo. But it was so sweet. But my uh, grandfather, Supi, who was a food merchant, but also he ran the local hammam next door. So we Turks never think you're clean enough until you had that good scrub <laughs> with a <the> kisser <laughs> to get all the dead skin. So we'd have that little swim and, you know, gentle playfulness. And then grandma would send us to her mom. Now it's your time to get really clean. <laughs> Here we are on the marble hammam floor having that scrub, 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 scrub. And, but then here comes all the feast. You know, you go to the salon in the hammam where you get the bath and here is the bureks you know pastry savory pastries with fillings there is the little lentil köfte there is a little baklava it's because it's tiring event having a big bath you know so you have to have a little chai <laughs> with all those food and food so even in hammam food is a big central point i know i remember that when i first went to turkey i worked in bursa right. and it was you know long before it was so touristic mm. and i went to one of those hammams and with all the women and everybody stripped down naked and out, <laughs> out comes the basket with all the olives and the the dry burek and the dry köfte and and, and the figs there. and you've got all these boobs swimming around oh, and buttocks yeah. wobbling and and, and and yet you're feasting in amongst it and splooshing with water yeah. and I just thought my goodness me baths and picnics are Pray never going to be the same again no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. really is it's just you know but it's so vivid in your memory that you know grandpa comes with cases of tomatoes and figs and aubergines no one buys one patlajan you know there's always cases because he would trade between aleppo and within hatay province and there's always excess and always ah go to nesrin teyze auntie nesrin this is her aubergines <laughs> go to hussein amca aunt, uncle hussein that's his tomatoes always shared talking of patlajan which means aubergine yes. uh you have a lovely story about mm. uh, about patlajan mm. By the way, your baba garnish is amazing. This good. good. Morkiness. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's our um, favorite vegetable. Well, obviously, it's a fruit because it has seeds in it. But 
There's about over 200 recipes, isn't it? Just featuring yeah. patlajan. And I love them. I did my uh, master's degree in Stirling University. That's how I first fell in love with Scotland. And I had the best a year and a half there. And as a bonus, I met my husband there, which wasn't planned. Angus, very Scottish name, born in Texas, from Wiltshire. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we are in a postgrad residential area. We have five flatmates. So one of them is from Taiwan, the other is from Greece, the other one is from Canada. And we all really get on well. And they said, we'll help you make a meal for Angus. So I said, well, I'll do the main. And they did the starters and, you know, desserts and whatnot. So I said, I better make him carniark, the split belly uh, stuffed aubergines with minced meat and vegetables. Mm -hmm. So I had to make the most, most expensive call back home to Istanbul to get that carniaric recipe right. <laughs> so I'm told, here's patlajan. It's going to do that. Get that patlajan there and stuff that patlajan. And, and Angus hears that conversation. Because we are loud, we Turks, you know, even when we talk over the phone. <laughs> we can never talk quietly and slowly. And Angus said, what that patlajan is, Özlem? It's the aubergine you'll be having. And so he sounds rather nice. I think I'll call you Patlijan from now on. So my name is Thomas Patlijan, or short Patli. Okay, so Patli. What's the rest of the story then? So he oh. obviously liked his karniak. <laughs> it took us six years, you know. Um, I graduated and I went back home because my visa expired. But we had a six-year long distance, you know. In those days, you write letters and cards. And it's a good test, actually. And, um, and we, we traveled a lot, which was lovely, you know, two disposable incomes and, you know, no kids. He popped the question for my mom and dad's relief. Angus was staying with us, so we have great big Turkish breakfast to prepare. Mom is making gözleme and dad is squeezing portakal sea oranges. Mom has her curlers in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> dad is this, you know, dressing gown. Angus shaved, you know, suits on and ready to rock and roll, luggage is ready just in case they come. Packed, ready to go in case it doesn't work out. <laughs> in case it doesn't work out. And uh, he said, oh, may I have a word with your mom and dad? I was them. I think at that point, mom, most of all, this must be the moment. Finally, he <laughs> might, something might be happening. We are summoned to the launch, but parents have very little English. Dad could speak quite a bit of um, daily language, but nothing more than that. Uh, he wouldn't grasp the whole proposal. <laughs> Hollywood. So Angus was very kind, you know, very emotional, you know. May he have the hand of marriage and, the pr you know, permission from dad. And all the time you're translating I this. am translating, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, um, and at that moment, mom started crying. You know, that her phone in her hand, the whole, it's, you know, quicker than a Wi-Fi. The whole world no, got the news <laughs> from States <laughs> to Canada to, you know, England, whole family. Auntie's next door. Um, and that's, it's of course, you know, that my dad is cool and reserved, but, you know, quite proud. Of course, Angus shook, shook hands and whatnot. Mom said, well, Özlem, you better make a really nice tukkavesi now. Bol köpüklü lütfen. Nice big froth on top, because that's how Turkish coffee needs to be. So it's a big sort of test for a girl mm -hmm. um, to get married, to produce a really nice 
Turkish coffee. Poor Angus never drinks coffee before 11, you know. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't say no, of course. <laughs> and you obviously passed the test. I did, apparently, yes. Yeah. I had you the froth. You make good Turkish coffee. Your coffee. I had the froth, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, can I just say that I experienced your coffee last we night. We all did. We all we did, we and all I would definitely there. marry you after that oh, coffee. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a special drink, you know. It has so many traditions attached to it you know like you know we say bir fincan kahvenin 40 yıl hatırı vardır which translates into a memory of a good cup you know lasts for 40 years it's a drink that we associate with sort of slowing down pausing mm-hmm. it's very much in tune with today's actually mindfulness and you know like being in the moment rather than rushing and doing things and i mean um when whenever i go back home you always have this limited time and so many people to see mom says right i'm making the turkish coffee i sit here you sit there you stop mm. the world can wait just pause just enjoy it <laughs> okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a bit so, like a dram in the Highlands. I bet. That's what we do. <laughs> I bet, I bet, I bet. And it's lovely, and, you know, you have the perfect setting for it. You know, you could easily don't want to leave. I understand why stay, you love it. Stay and cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think that what food does, though, I mean, food is one of those things that mm. opens doors to cultures, mm. but it also opens doors to friendships. It's such a nice way to spend time. language. Definitely. It's such a, a family time as well, don't mm. we? I mean, you've always brought me and Yazi up to uh, dinner time is the time when we come to the table and we enjoy a feast and we chat about our day, whatever we've oh. been up to. And we've been so lucky because of what you've cooked us through our lifetime mm. of meze dishes. Like these sort of flavors are just are just amazing to us. And this one especially, I have yeah. to say. Like we all love this. It's almost yeah. gone. I, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, amazing. I'm, you like it? Don't dare to pronounce it. But so ekmek is bread. So it's flat bread topped with um, red pepper paste, um, Turkish. Beyaz peynir, feta cheese, or if you can find Turkish beyaz peynir works so well. Good olive oil, bit of tomato paste. But again, this is a big it's part of delicious. my childhood. Mm, you know, the um, the bakeries in Antakya, we call it fırın. They are your local mm-hmm. communities, local ovens. So they not only make the flatbread, but also my grandma or my mother would prepare the filling, the topping. Mm-hmm. And said, Özlem, now go to the fırın. And the baker will bake it for for us and bring it back. That's what we did. You know, all the lahmacun fillings we would take, uh, all the pide fillings we would take. You could make your stuffed peppers, dolmas. You bake it in the oven, all the casseroles, meatballs and whatnot. Um, so, you know, that's an incredible bonding. You bought, we buy anyway the, the meat from local butcher. You know, he prepares it. Sometimes he makes the mixture for a kebab and then he goes to the baker and he bakes it and, you know, that's your meal sorted. Um, so, you know, that holds very special memories. Um, and today, still in Antakya, people do that. They still use the oven um, bakery as their local oven. There's a lovely um, ancient market called Uzunçarşı, Long Market. So, you know, it's the winding road from Ananas, grandma's home. So you would walk and um, you get your daily cheese and bread and past the spice shop get all the baharat the spice but lots of people go to turkey and they go to the south of turkey but they go to yeah. you know bodrum yeah. and fethiye yeah. and marmaris and places yeah but very few people go to antakya mm. so it's a lot less known mm. but yet unesco has just recognized it thank you so much for mentioning that 
it's a massive thing for Antakya because Gaziantep had that accolade and now Antakya got the um, UNESCO approval for the world city of gastronomy it's massive because now in 2020 apparently and we shall be there I'll work on that we shall there will be an expo to showcase all the regional cuisine because there's so much to celebrate about that city it's so diverse Jews Christians and Muslims still live together in harmony which is amazing which is rare Mm. yeah it is it's very special for that and I mean it's an accident of history really Mm. that it is part of Turkey Mm. it could actually have been part of Syria and the whole story that you're telling could be a very different one unfortunately unfortunately as I said my grandpa and my uncle Shakir would trade fresh produce with Aleppo and you know it was so calm because that's why they, they could speak Arabic my grandma would speak French because of the French invasion and um, before Turkey Antakya was part of the Turkish Republic um, but that diversity is what really so important there's an Armenian village Vakıflı Armenian village but they have their own traditions and cuisines my uncle and my aunties and you know, grandpas, they would celebrate Hanukkah with their Jewish friends. They would celebrate Noel and Christmas with their, you know, Christian friends. And they would, you know, fast and um, break their bread for Ramadan. And you could hear the church bell ringing with Muezzin calling for a prayer in the same time. And I think it's beautiful. I mean, why not? It happens, isn't it? I mean, that's why I think it's so... Um, significant to to showcase that special city and if we want it you know it's not a miracle to to achieve peace and achieve harmony um that tolerance is what it is i think respect and tolerance and acceptance for who you are well with your book you've managed to perhaps open people's eyes a little bit to I that part so. of that world because you're so. doing the food from there you've yeah. written um about it even though it is a book on Turkish food in general. Yeah. And there are lots of Turkish books out there mm. now. I mean, there didn't used to be, but there are now. Mm. So do you hope that people will regard this as a slightly different take on Turkish food? Um, the response so far has been really positive and folks all around the world responded really well. Some have some sort of connection to Turkey who mm-hmm. perhaps spent some time there uh, because I think it's... The recipes need to work. I try to bring the culture a bit alive. You know, it's very personal, the book is. In every recipe, there is a little bit of an introduction as to the significance. And also, there is a global interest for healthy eating, Mm -hmm. great interest for Eastern Mediterranean food, like, you know, rise of pomegranate molasses, ton of seasonal produce. We use olive oil and nuts and, you know, natural condiments, spices to flavor it. And I think people respond to stories. When I was in the States, um, Austin, Texas, we lived in for about five and a half years. And it was a wonderful cookery school called Central Market Cooking School. So I was volunteering with them and then started teaching as a guest chef. They were very open to, you know, diverse ethnic cuisines. I would call mom yet again, expensive phone calls. <laughs> mom, you know, the, the pide, you know, uh, the, the dough, the measurements, how many grams, ounces, a glass full of flour, and a, one tea glass of this. Mom, I don't have a tea glass, and neither all the American folks here. I need, you know, standards, etc. Özlem, it's earlobe consistency at the end. Oh. You know, <laughs> the dough will be earlobe. Kulak memesi kıvamında. Memesi, earlobe. 
<laughs> Trial and error, you'll get there, love. <laughs> I have to say a big thanks to this special lady because her your books were so inspirational because no one, you know, tackled Turkish cuisine much. Your measurements always worked. You always had pre- precise, beautiful measurements. <gasps> Your classic Turkish cookery book was my Bible. I, I love that. really is. And um, I, I hope you're listening to that, Katie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're yes. always basking in fame when you're with me. <laughs> so Sorry. is the, the spices here, the za'atar and the chili, is that to go on something? Mm, very good question. Thanks for that, Yas. So mm. that za'atar is actually the mixture of um, the za'atar blend. Um, which has the the dried um, za'atar herb, which is thyme. Um, thyme, ground cooked chickpeas, ground pistachios. My mother reckons about 40 different things in it. Cumin, sumac, Aleppo peppers, mm. you know, nigella seeds, sesame seeds, you name it, it's there. Very pungent, beautiful, mm-hmm. aromatic um, spice. So we use that in the topping of the biberli ekmek, but also locals in Antakya use that in breakfast. So they have their special tuzlu yoğurt, that sort of um, strained, salted yogurt cheesy blend with good olive oil over it. So they would dunk their bread on that and then tuzahtar. So very similar to duka. Um, yeah, I mean, zahtar is a very popular spice. There's the pul biber there, which is, you know, for us, anonymous with salt and pepper, you know, wherever mm-hmm. you go in a traditional lokantas and restaurants, you would have pul biber, salt and pepper, everything with pul biber. Cumin again, pungent cumin, we use a lot. Sumac, that tangy, lovely citrusy sumac. Is it alright? He's just eating chili on its own. Oh my word, I didn't realize you were that spicy. You took a wee pinch of it and I'm regretting it. But it's lovely. And what did you say you'd put that on? Um, You know, we sprinkle on everything, really. It went on the the kusa salad. It was certainly on this um, mohammara. Uh, mm. which I have to mention because yeah. that's my, my mother's staple dip mm. uh, when we have guests and it's a marriage of walnuts, um, really good extra virgin olive oil, uh, cumin, a little bit of bread, pepper paste, biber salchus uh, and tomato paste all blitz together makes a lovely Moorish dip. And I also just mentioned the bulgur which is very important. Mm-hmm. So bulgur um, is the main grain so the fine version we use for salads, but coarse version is lovely in the um, pilaf, we call it ash in Antakya, like bulgurlu ash. We would add carrots, we, you might add courgettes, we might some saute some onions and put over that. We call it actually mujaddara, which is a you know mm. similar um, sort of heritage with Syria, I presume, and um, Lebanon. Well, your book has been obviously a labor of love wish you huge success Thank with you. it and we're very lucky to be enjoying some of the recipes from it oh that's very so, nice Thank so, you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. and may i say afiyet olsun that means may you be happy and healthy with this food you eat and elinize sağlık that means to you all because you all helped that means thank you to your hands who made it so thank you so much for having me it was a very special few days really special